I'm Peter Ayers, and you're listening to Stages, the podcast that converses with creatives. Then the next block further down there was the Royal, then the Prince Edward was right opposite the Royal, then the Savoy. And we used to get fined if you were late for the half hour and fined for misbehaving on stage. Just for God's sake, do it better. (laughs) Sometimes that's all you can say. But when you've gone through that, you do get a lot of ego. And you go out there knowing that the one thing that's different every time is that audience. I didn't wake up until I was in emergency. I was around the uh, world of actors as a child. Crawfords were needing a casting assistant. No business plan, no concept, no training. It's not something you could do now. Went to school on Friday, got on the bus on Saturday, auditioned for the show. They said, you've got the role. I never went back to school again. (laughs) Thank you. I've enjoyed being here talking about my favourite subject. Ego in check, me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a date. (laughs) It's a date. Hello, I'm Peter Ayers and welcome back to this companion episode of The Stages Podcast with song and dance man Jack Webster. In episode one, Jack described his cultural influences growing up in the UK and an inspiring dance teacher who gave him the confidence and skill set to have a go at any challenge that might present itself. He reflected on his debut in a professional production of The Boyfriend and his subsequent success as a dancer and choreographer around the UK and Europe on stages and television screens. He vividly recalled dancing in the Oscar-winning film Oliver and his West End credits, Mr and Mrs and the Burt Backwack musical Promises, Promises, alongside Betty Buckley and Donna McKechnie. Of course, Burt Bacharach. Jack will get the joke. Jack moved to Australia in 1970 and he's been an eternal presence on stages for the 50 years that followed. We pick up from his casting and subsequent success as Tulsa in the legendary original Australian production of Gypsy. So, so a couple of shows with Williamson's, Nanette and, and Irene. And Irene. You're obviously being watched by people. Because um, tell me about Tulsa. Did you well, have to audition for that? No, well, yes. Uh, well, I had... Now, in that time I was uh, overseas, I had seen Angela Lansbury do the show in London. And, of course, I thought that Tulsa wasn't very good. I could do... Of course, I could do so much better. Anyway... Uh, it, it was announced that Gypsy was going to be produced in Australia. And Pounder came to me um, and said, I want you to audition for Tulsa. And I said, oh, no. I said, no, I'm too old. I mean, I was 28 or something, 17 or something, you know. And I said, I'm too old. And I said, besides, they're not going to reorganise this show. And so she insisted. She said, you have the right style for the number. Anyway, I did. I went along for the audition. I wasn't prepared, and I didn't. I didn't even wear proper clothes. And, you know, I was so sure that I was not in the running for it. And um, then she started to teach the routine, and I looked around at the competition, and I thought, "Well, I'm, I'm a lot better. I'm, I am better than you lot." So, so I pulled my finger out, and I started to. And and a couple of weeks later, I stopped her in the. Uh, in backstage and I said all right just tell me I haven't got it just put me out of my misery I said I knew I'd never get it anyway and she said oh sorry darling I meant to yes you have got it 
So I got I got the role, and that's that's you know it was a total surprise to me, and so there I went um, into Gypsy, came out of um, came out of that. So and and Betty Pounder is responsible for reorganizing my career, for stretching my career, and forking that yellow brick road for me. And um, off I went on a completely different tangent because after Gypsy, my I just she said now you need to do this now you need to do that. She was very um, strong in that. But doing and becoming a triple threat and becoming own right. a triple threat, mm. which I never I. Um, recently, a book has been written about her, and I was asked to write a little bit. And I said, you know, when when I was in Irene, I was a, a very unambitious chorus boy until Pounder had other other ideas. Mm. Um, but doing that doing that show was wonderful, wonderful cast. I mean, Gloria Dawn uh, was sensational. However, she was wicked because she never gave in rehearsals. She marked everything. And nobody told me. Other people who knew were ready for it. But as soon as the audience was in there, it was a totally different performance. I mean, this dynamo happened where she just kind of, because she knew what she could do. She didn't have to prove it, you see, to anybody. So unless you were ready for it, wow, you know, who came on? <laughs> <laughs> but she was wonderful. And the rest of the cast, Sue Walker, was heaven on her. I must, I must tell his story too. Um, she was being taught uh, the strip montage um, by Pounder. And in came these huge white feather fans, because one of the one of the strips involved doing a bit of a fan dance. Now, when I was eighteen, I was never so poor. I, I was so heavily out of work, and this friend of mine got me a job at a strip club as ASM <laughs> punctuation, <laughs> and what it meant was I changed a couple of coloured gels in the lights, set a couple of props and caught all the bits of costume, the bits of pieces, the, yes. the stickers and the G-strings and all of that as they were thrown off. And the star of the show was a woman called Rhoda Rogers, who'd been a, a sort of a British burlesque queen in her own right. And the show was, it was really high class, this strip club. And it was like a drag show with women and all the costumes of the, the finale was Hello Dolly, the Broadway, the Broadway cast of Hello Dolly played. The opening was Guys and Dolls, Luck Be a Lady. And all these, Rhoda did a strip to Ethel Merman singing Mr Livingston <laughs> from Happy Hunting. <laughs> Imagine stripping to Ethel Merman. <laughs> Anyway, the finale was Hello Dolly, and all the all the girls were, had had these period costumes, but with the tits cut out and no bum. <laughs> and they parted and went, well, well, hello, and down came Rhoda Rogers with the fans doing this fan dance. You see, and there was a there was a runway into the audience, and, that, and there she is. So I'm watching this. So we fast forwarded to. The sunroom in Melbourne rehearsals for Gypsy and income these feather fans for Sue Walker to use. 
And Pounder said, I've got no idea. And Sue said, don't look at me. I've never seen such big fans, let alone know how to work them. And she looked, Pounder looked across at me and she said, I bet you do. And I said, as a matter of fact. Do I? And I picked them up and I became Rhoda Rogers. Hello, Dolly. <laughs> So you see, nothing is lost. No, that was no. doing that work at that street. That was the poorest time of my life. I was literally living from hand to mouth. I was sleeping on a friend's sofa, you know, and it was it was a shocking time. But hello, I knew how to use the fans. Mm. <laughs> are, are you taking singing lessons during this time? Uh, I didn't take any lessons at no, all. I'm no. I'm sorry to say I should have done, but I just worked. But no, just, because you have the, so a lot of dancers don't have the, the chops to, to, to sing. This is where I say the background kicked in. Mm. You know, the, the concert party stuff, you're in this. You're singing this now. You're in that, you know. And this is where it all... So I guess there was something there already. You're developing a technique through um, osmosis and through those Absolute, experiences. Absolutely. Working with various musical directors but and choral directors. Yeah, but also Mr and Mrs. That was the first time the dancers were asked to sing that I knew of. Um, John Taylor got us all to sing in Mr and Mrs. But also in Irene, the dancers sang and the singers danced. It, that was really an ensemble. Cast Peter Casey was was one of the singers and he was dancing along with the rest of us and um I, so I, we we were given um harmony to learn in 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 irene and peter casey would get you know as as idiot dancers and say would you like to and he get out got a, a, a piano in the rehearsal space and go put you know put us through our harmonies he was very good like that uh, uh, yeah, but so there I was doing doing Tulsa, and and um, I like to think I nailed it. I, I like to think I had the right style for the. I had I got a lovely message from Paul Wallace, wishing me luck because Paul had also been in um, No No Nanette, and he used Tulsa had, in the film, and he no, well, he was the original oh, on stage. On mm. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I, and I went to his place when I went to LA and visited Lamond, and she had made good friends with um, with Paul, and uh, she took me along as a surprise guest at his birthday party, and he greeted me like a long lost relative, you know. But um, yes, it was nice to get a, a, a cheerio for from him for for Tulsa, and there were lovely people in the cast who were great helps to me. Graham Rouse uh, was a help with the acting. Um, and also one of the strippers, Cheryl, um, she introduced me to a lot of sort of art films and things and she's got me to look at other people's performances and, and you know, got me to look at the acting side of things. She was very helpful there and, um, yeah, it was, it was lovely. And, of course, Gloria's daughter, Donna, was also in the Yes, she was Gypsy. one of the Hollywood blondes, yeah. and she covered, um, she was understudy to Dainty June, and, um, well, I saw her do a rehearsal one day, and she really should have had the role, yeah. because she could do everything the babies could do, and more. As far as... Um, well, she was an acrobat. The, an acrobat, the vocal prowess. Absolutely, the, yeah, yeah. you know, I mean, she could, she could, the talent carried on. Gloria got sick. 
during the Melbourne run and she had to leave the show and go into hospital, which of course must have been awful for Donna, mm. carrying on the show, but yeah. she's such a pro, you know, the show must go on and yeah. all of that, but that must have been awful for her. But of course, Gypsy is a star vehicle, written for Ethel Merman, you yeah. know. So the management realized they needed a name on the marquee, so they went to Tony Lamond. And I think she did it in three days. I and believe so. I've talked talk to her and, and she got the call, pound a quarter in yeah. Sydney, I think. And she learned Act One on the train down. Is that is that yeah. how she did it? Yeah. I never knew how she did it, yeah. but I knew it was very quick. Mm. And she was on, of course, she was fabulous because mm. Tony Lamond, mm. she is fabulous. And uh, so we did the, she finished the Melbourne run. We did Adelaide. And um, it was lovely because for me, it was reconnecting with Lamond. I hadn't seen her for a while and it, we rekindled our friendship. And, of course, and Sheldon, because I'd met him first as a schoolboy, now he was all grown up. And, um, and that, it, was, it was lovely uh, rekindling that friendship. And we got to Sydney and Gloria came back, but she wasn't strong enough to do eight performances a week, so they alternated the role between Tony and Gloria. That would have been an exciting time to be in Sydney. To sort it was, it of was, go on a Tuesday and see Le Monde well, and then Wednesday and see Gloria. Well, unfortunately, it didn't work for audiences because right. they, they weren't sure who they were booking to see. And, and you had more than a front row seat because you, you were acting alongside them. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Which kind of kept us on our toes, you know, because we had to react to two different women yeah. with different personalities and different energies. Yeah. And uh, that, was, that was kind of good. Um, so, oh, well, I, I just loved doing that show. And, of course, the number, for Tulsa's number, is one of the best numbers ever written for a song and dance man. Yeah. And guys who come to try and play Tulsa always see it as a tap routine because there's tapping on the recording you know and it isn't it isn't a tap routine at all and why how pounder said to me you have the right style and i realized when i learned the routine that she did jerome robbins choreography you see which i i got to do and jerome robbins was very classically based so there's a lot of classical um choreography in that number mm. And a lot of it's very, lots of um, upper body work, arms, you know. And um, so I, I felt it suited me very well. Uh, and it was just an absolute joy to do every night. I loved it. That's why it still is my favourite. It's my sentimental favourite favorite role. role. Yeah. 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 I love the serendipity of this business too because... Um, Later on in your career, you work on a show called Dames at Sea. Dames at Sea. And, of course, the children of those roses, Gloria mm -hmm. and, and Tony. And Tony Sheldon. Tony Sheldon. And Donnelly. Donnelly. Yeah. Yes, in that. It was, uh, and that was, that was a delightful show. Again, uh, one of my uh, many collaborations with Nancy Hayes. We, um, we, I mainly choreographed it. She directed it and I did a lot of the choreography for it and was in it at the same time. Um, but our oh, dream cast, Donna and Tony and another lovely performer who um, is no longer with us, Tony O'Keefe, 
was oh, was a lovely guy. And the girls were, you know, apart from Donna, there was uh, Kerry Woods and Karen Johnson again, who I'd worked with all those times before, who now is, of course, one of Australia's leading music Rip. theatre directors. Yeah, yeah. And, um, but anyway, to, to just get back to Le Monde a bit, um, while we were doing Gypsy, she was preparing to go to L.A., to relocate to L.A. And she said to me, everybody, everybody in L.A. plays tennis. And she said, so I'm going to take tennis lessons and you're coming along with me. So, well, I looked <laughs> fabulous. I had all the John Newcomb gear, the shorts, the t with a little moustache logo. I had a tennis racket that fit my hand. Couldn't hit a ball to save me. But you had beautiful arms. Beautiful I had beautiful arms and hands, and I looked fabulous, yeah. hopeless. But Tony wanted me to go, so I did. And a couple of a few years later, uh, when Tony had come back to Australia, she rang me out of the blue and she said, "I've written a review, and you're in it." So yeah, I was in the review that she had written. But then, then the last time we worked together, I was asked by John Crummel, who ran the Marion Street Theatre in North Sydney. And he asked me to direct and stage a production called Oh Coward, which was a collection of Noel Coward's material. And in it was Le Monde, at Barry Creighton and Derek Metzger. And both Barry and Derek pulled out of the show, so I managed to replace Creighton with Barry Quinn. Lovely Barry Quinn, you know Barry. Absolutely. He Gorgeous. Was, yeah, oh, yeah. We, we'd known each other since he, he first came to Australia when we were doing a chorus line and he met Peter. Um, so we go that far back. But and a wonderful Julian Marsh in that um, production. Yes, at 42nd, at 42nd Street. Street, yes. Lovely actor, lovely performer and great man mm. and nice friend. And so he was, he, I got him and I couldn't recast Derek Metzger. So Crummel said, well, you do it. You're in it. And well, you never said no to Crummel. <laughs> and so I directed, staged and was in it. And at the piano uh, was this lovely woman, which who I had met some uh, about a year or so bef before we were about to do a project that fell through. So I asked her to come in and play for us in O Coward. And it was Kelly Dickerson, who is now one of Australia's leading music theatre MD conductors. And when Le Monde was given her uh, ABC show to record As Long, as, as, he long as He Needs Me. The recording studio, I think. The re the that's TV right, show, yeah. yes. And with a 32-piece orchestra, and the MD conductor was Kelly Dickerson. Yeah. So everything's sort of interwoven in our business, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And, and we, we, we kind of work with the same people and come up. But I, oh, I, but I, I did want to mention that uh, going to Marion Street and doing O Coward and Dames at Sea, um, and actually, everything that I ever did at um, Marion Street was always designed by I by our lovely friend that we miss dearly, Mr. Graham McLean. Mr. Graham McLean. I mean, he was a brilliant designer, but I mean, we've we've already spoken about it. one of the funniest men we've ever met in our lives. Yes. The driest wit. The driest wit. And a beautiful designer. Oh, excellent, and with such taste too. Yeah. 
and, and everything's so different. I'm so glad you mentioned Graham because uh, with these conversations there are a whole lot of people that I cannot access anymore. It's, yes. it's too late. But through six degrees of separation, one yeah. degree of separation, yes. we can continue to celebrate yes. them and remember them. Yes. Well, like I said, he direct he, he designed every every production that I ever did, and I did about five or six productions at Marion Street over the years. And uh, I first met him. He he came in to to design <laughs> um, a production of Gypsy that the uh, uh, Queensland Theatre Company were doing with June Salter playing Rose and David Atkins was playing Tulsa and I re-choreographed the show and the designer had a mental breakdown uh, in the middle of in the middle of his uh, designing the show and so Graham had to come in and finish the job and that's when I first met Graham and and um, we became firm friends Ever since. Beautiful friendship. Um, and both living around Newtown for a long living time. Living around Newtown, yeah. yeah. So we, we had copious drinks at the Newtown Hotel over the years. <laughs> I think I joined you a couple of times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about another great leading lady who you've worked with many times, Nancy Hayes. Oh, Nancy. Yes, well, I, I think I did mention that uh, we first... I saw uh, The first time I saw her was in Promises, Promises. She was playing Our Lady and she was hysterical. In fact, I, I thought she was the best thing in it. Um, and then later when we did Irene, she took over one of the roles. And I think that's when we became friendly, you know, because we had such a lot in common. And also she knew this, this friend of mine, Jodie, and she knew Tony Gapen, and, you know, who I knew. And um, and later on, we we collaborated on a few things. The, the first issue was asked to di uh, direct the production company's Gypsy with um, Judy Canelli playing Rose. And, and I was asked to choreograph it. And we worked very closely on that and realised we, had, we had, had a good rapport. So we, we later did Dames at Sea. And then we did another show at, at Marion Street called Here Comes Showtime, which was a compilation of um, Jack O'Hagan's songs um, with a lovely cast uh, uh, Rod Dunbar Rod Dunbar Judy Wright who just got yeah. out of Whopper yes I know she Jude, was she was in my year she was wonderful yes. and was Derek in it Metzger Derek was in it mm. and Jason Langley Langley mm. Robin Arthur and uh, and we collaborated on that and and we got on very well we, we collaborated with the when I met you, worked with you on mm -hmm. uh, Wizard of Oz. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but she was a wonderful performer. And also, uh, I'm forgetting to mention, uh, Dames at Sea went to Adelaide, but Karen, who was playing sort of the leading lady in the show, uh, didn't want to leave her children, so Nancy stepped in. So um, she, she performed with us. And it actually made it to Expo that year, whatever, 88, Expo, 88 mm. and we played this river stage um, at Expo, which was different, <laughs> to say the least. An exposure to the elements. Yes. You're working on some, some big shows, big musicals. Um, 
the next one is Man of La Mancha. Man of La Mancha. Now, oh. now uh, the oh. listener should know that these shows are, are appearing in Australia not long after their Broadway premieres. No, well, actually, uh, that's not true of La Mancha because this was its third version. It's third, oh, in Australia, it's third was it? showing, yes, so but with the same leads with St- Suzanne and Charles. Um, Charles. And uh, and a couple of others had been in the... Uh, Noel, somebody who played the Padre, he had been in all three um, things. In fact, Pounder had asked me before to uh, to do one, the second version, to play the young muleteer, and I couldn't. I was doing something else. Um, but so this time she said, I want you to... Finally, I want you to play the young muleteer. Jose. And... and it was it Jose. Okay, if you say Jose, <laughs> if you Jose so. <laughs> <laughs> I never knew, but uh, that was uh, such a divine, um, clever production. It was, in a way, a bit like come from away in the inventiveness of it. This became this became this became this. You know, everything became something else. Um, chairs became all sorts of things. Bits of wood became tabletops, and did you know? And people played. You know, you're playing this now, and you're this now, and um, it was it was superb. The cast, um, Sue was gorgeous. Charles West was just divine. Apparently, they did a they did a, product, a, a, a sort of concert version in London, and they used all the all the people who played the Don. Um, Keith Michel was the original person who played it in, in, in London and they used various Dons and they, they asked Charles to do two performances. Lovely. Yeah, he got two performances. That's, I mean, that's how good he was. And, um, and the, the, the setting of it was wonderful. It was very um, claustrophobic. It was on this, it, this saucer sort of thing, which was on the most enormous rake it was a terrible rake. Um, and in it was lovely Frank Lloyd. Lovely Australia. Did you ever know Frank? Know oh, gorgeous. And his, he, you know, he was one of these lovely old actors and, and lovely old eccentric. And his thing was a string of pearls, a strand of pearls. And at some point in any show, he would just lift up a collar of a costume and there would be this single strand of pearls, which, of course, was just so funny. And when he died, his wake was at the Tilbury Hotel in Sydney and everybody who went in got a single strand of pearls. That's lovely. He and I did, uh, did, did um, Annie in Brisbane together and he played FDR and I, I was playing Drake and choreographing the show and one day I said to him, you know FDR's in the wheelchair all night and I went up to him and I said Frank I've got a choreographic note for you and he said have you and I said yes stop tapping your foot in time with the music. <laughs> <laughs> you paralysed remember? Yes. <laughs> but he was, he was divine. A lovely cast, and and one of the one of the slickest productions I've ever been in. Mm. You talk about the rake. Oh, it was oh, it's terrible. Yeah. It was, yes, it was very steep. It was quite steep, which made it very easy for Charles to roll down when he was beaten off by the windmills. Mm-hmm. 
in that, and he just very easily rolled down the stage. But, but hard enough to perform on, but to dance on. Well, be... there's not not a lot of dancing, no. and um, I I know that in the the last production I saw, there was there was a fair bit of dancing they put in, um, which wasn't there. There was the only thing, the only choreography sort of was. Um, the, he's riding two horses right at the um, here am I dee, 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 the, the, the opening song sort of thing and there are two boys with horses heads on and they're sort of doing a sort of flamenco type uh, corrie with their feet but all you know not going anywhere and that's really basically the only corrie uh, that there is um, and originally I, I believe it was done in the round and everybody was under the stage. All the actors were in, in prison behind bars under the stage in view of the audience. I think that was the original. It changed. Mm. And, um, uh, but we crawled up from the back. I mean, our makeup was a, was a, a, a champagne cork <laughs> and a lighter. <laughs> <laughs> we, we smutted our faces. That was makeup. <laughs> it was the filthiest show I've ever done, but it was wonderful. Wonderful. As a dancer, it, it must have been um, heaven to, to learn that a show like A Chorus Line had been created but was also coming to Australia. Yes. And I guess every dancer in Australia wanted to be part of that show. I was ambivalent. Right. Had you seen it overseas? No, no, but I, but Pounder came. Oh, what was that? Was it, would it have been Man of La Mancha or? Pounder came to the theatre. I was at the match. I remember her bringing this, these two fool's cap pages of, of paper together that was the programme uh, and the um, biog of everybody who was in the show. And it wasn't, it wasn't on Broadway yet. It was off-Broadway. And, and that was the two Fool's Cat pages stapled together. And she said, it's, it's the most brilliant show I've ever seen, you know. And, of course, we heard about it. And then auditions were held in Sydney. Um, I, I went along and f for some reason I didn't really care. But everybody and his dog was there and all these TV personalities were there thinking that, they, that their names would get... Oh, they'd been, to, they'd been to dancing school when they were 10, you know. And the first thing that they gave us, that was given by by Ork, uh, by Ork Lee, with Pounder was there. She was helping with the casting because she had knowledge of everybody too. And um, they lined us up in rows of 10 and uh, they asked us to do a, a double time step on each leg and a double pirouette. And if you try to be clever and do a triple time step, no, I asked for a double. It was very serious and very straight, very strict. And just a double pirouette, please. Well, of course, all these TVs, they didn't know what a time, they didn't know what a time step was, let alone a double. And as for a double pirouette, you know, so they, they got weeded out. That was the biggest weed out of the dross of the ones who couldn't either take direction or couldn't do it. You know, that's the, and then then came the and Pounder came out and she started to teach us 
waiting outside uh, the um, opening number. Da 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 da. And uh, so we sort of had a vague knowledge. She was so good. She was so good with people. She loved her dancers, you know. And um, she was so helpful. Anyway, eventually they lined us all up, and um, and we had there were two of everybody on. They had a line in the rehearsal, the audition room. This is at the Seymour Centre. This I is think, at the Se- Was it the Seymour Centre? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. yes. And um, Greg Radford was standing beside me, and he said, "Oh, this is the line." And I said, "What is it? We're all we're all." this is the line and he said to me would you understudy if they asked you and I said no would you and he said no and they picked me so Greg didn't he wouldn't understand he wouldn't cover and um, to play Al to play Al to play Alan DeLuca and Bayork all the people who've been chosen and I think this was including the understudies the ones who said yes they would cover and we all sat down and Bayork read us or did in a little capsule version of the last scene, the what's called the alternative scene, what do you do if you can't dance anymore? And then launched into um, what I did for love because none of us really knew what the song was about because it had been recorded by everybody as a love song and as appeared in that terrible film version. Um, as a love song and then of course she did it right after where it comes after the alternative scene and of course there wasn't a dry eye in the in the place because it's all about dancers what I did for love the sacrifice you know the, the sacrifice the pain yeah, yeah the gift was ours to borrow all those wonderful lines that are just we did what we It's a continuation of the alternative scene. It's the continuation of the dialogue that has come before. It's so brilliant. and um, But the rehearsals for that were not pleasant. They weren't good. Because unfortunately, Michael Bennett sent his stage manager from Broadway to direct us. Bayork came. If it had been her alone, we'd have been all right. Um, but he sent this awful Jeff person who couldn't direct anything, let alone traffic. So that's like he didn't have a good record sending people off to put his shows in from the Promises Promises exactly. experience. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, he and Biop didn't get on at all, and um, they had a couple of altercations. Well, no, they had one big altercation. I'll come to that in a minute. The rehearsal period was unhappy because we were getting conflicting stories you know, directions, Direction, sort right. of things. But we had the first, um, I'll skip through a lot of the stuff, but we had our first preview for an invited audience, which was sensational. I mean, they applauded the blackout before the show, you know, and everything, they screamed for everything. And we went into the thing, because we, we had six weeks rehearsal and three weeks of previews. So we went into the theatre the following day, because we were still in rehearsal, preview, rehearsal, preview. And... Um, 
Jeff and Bayork came. We were in the bar at the at the Madge in Sydney, and they sauntered down. And Jeff stood in front of us all and did his usual little. <laughs> well, <laughs> last night <laughs> you did. Hello, Dolly. You did Mame, you did Oklahoma, you did any other show but a chorus line. And of course, we just slumped. You know, we, we sat there with a great high from the night before and he just reduced us to nothing. And But I had a strange feeling that that kind of brought us together. In a, in a strange sort of way. And there was another instance where we, we were sitting in the dressing rooms and the tannoy was open. And Jeff and Bayork were in the sound booth up the, the you know, up the, back. up the back. And they were having the biggest row. They were going at it hammer and tongs, throwing insult after insult, until Gail Esler, our stage manager, ran in and said, the tannoy's open, the mic's open, turned it off, and the next thing, we're called on stage, bring a chair, sit on the line, and we're all, the whole, the whole company's sitting there, and they try to justify the argument. And as a company, we said nothing. We gave nothing. We sat there and looked at them, and, and the, the less, you know, the more we did that, the more angry they got in, in justifying their justification, you know. And in the end, they dismissed us, you know, and we silently got up and left the stage. And I thought that was another moment which brought us together. We all thought, we've, we've only got us. Well, you refer to us. That's an extraordinary ensemble of of, uh, ah. of performers: David Atkins, Angela Ayres, Tony Bartuccio, Ross Coleman, Pamela Gibbons, Karen Johnson, Marriott Rupps, Peter Tapana. Uh, I'm sure I've left yes. people out there, but but what? Yes. Well, Karen didn't cast. open, of course. She took over. It was an American. We had we had four Americans in the cast to open with, um, but I will I will get to when the night. The Mexican wave happened across the stage as somebody looked into the wings and then across the stage went, Michael Bennett's here, Michael Bennett's here, Michael Bennett's here, Michael Bennett's here. <laughs> <laughs> and sure enough, there he was with arms folded, head down, looking at us from under his eyebrows. We shat ourselves. I mean, and we were called into rehearsal the next day with Michael Bennett. Well... What he did was he lined all of us up in our places on the line and he went down the line, he started at one end and again there was another Mexican wave going on. He whispered something into somebody's ear and one by one each one of us went, oh, of course or oh yes. And without anybody hearing what the, what, what the other was told, he, he said in one sentence he got what our character was and what we're, what we're getting wrong with it, how to get it right. Just in a few words, he got in a nutshell what we were about. And in an encouraging, nurturing way, unlike Jeff. Unlike, unlike Jeff, mm -hmm. yes, who tried to, uh, you know, we were told to bring something of ourselves to the character. And the minute we did, no, 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 so-and-so didn't do it like that. Mm. You know, the old story. And, but... 
Bennett just got, in a nutshell, in a sentence, what we were about. And everybody's performance changed accordingly because we understood what it was and he loved us he he rehearsed with us for two or three days threw a big party for us at the end of the week he absolutely loved the the company did mckechnie come out with him no no, no he's, nice i know yeah, i yeah. know it was and he, at the party i said to him i said I, I was one of your dancers in in promises in london and he said i thought there was something and i thought yeah right yes <laughs> of course i believe that and um but it, that was an amazing time to work for him, and he was fabulous. Because in Promises, we had nothing to do with him. He, he came when Donna came and just sort of watched us do the, the last week of rehearsals or something, um, because he was about to direct Coco with Catherine Hepburn on Broadway. And so he had, he had all of that running around in his head, and he had no time for Promises in London, really just as long as Donna was okay. But of course, in Australia, he came out, he worked with us, he, he, oh, he, because he loved dancers, you know? And um, he was an absolute joy. We thought, why, we could have done this in two weeks if you'd been here, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, that was, that was incredible. The show takes place at an audition. At an audition. Did you enjoy the audition process? Not for that show, they just in did. general? They, in they general? did the show as the audition right. in Sydney. They kept us waiting. They kept us outside. And they, got, they just kept us... And it was, it was... It really got into our heads. That's like the psychology of the The psychology yeah, yeah. of everything. And, um, you know, talking to us one by one. And it just... In the end, you really wanted that show. You may, the, the process was like the show in that at the end, my God, I need this job, you know? Are you so, good at auditions generally? Do you like the audition process? No, oh, no? who does? <laughs> who does? My, my favourite audition was, was for... Can I jump ahead? Yeah, do, you want, do you want to ask me something? No. But I, my favourite audition was for Martin Charnin when I auditioned for, for Annie, Annie in 2000. My agent um, said, I'm sending you to audition for Annie. And also, oh, lovely, lovely. And, and I, I, I said, Drake, he said, no, Rooster. And I said, no, no, ooh, you know. <laughs> A bit long in the tooth for Rooster, love. So I said, anyway, when I got there, he and this, I can't remember her name, who was restaging the choreography, and Kelly Akers was her um, assistant. Anyway, um, they both looked at me, you know, wide eyed and went, um, right. And I said, what am I down to audition for? And they said, Rooster and I said no 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 Drake and they both went oh oh okay <laughs> right. so I sang a song and Martin said to me he said look there's no dialogue for Drake you know we can't they're bits and pieces but there's no we can't give you a side to read he said so what I'd like you to do is just talk and he said do you do a John Gielgud in Arthur? And I said, 
No. But I do a really good Jack Webster auditioning for Drake. <laughs> that took him back a bit. Now, you, you remember Arthur. Remember the film in Arthur? Oh, yes, and there's yes. that lovely scene with Arthur in the bath, in the bath. and Kilgood on the toilet reading the paper. <laughs> yeah. So, I set off to talk in my best Drake voice, and I've got no idea what I said. I rambled on, and they stopped me. And he said, look, I, 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 just, I like what you're doing, Jack, and I want you to do some more. Only this time, don't smile. And I ju just came out. I said, I wasn't smiling. I was being facetious, you little shit. <laughs> Which, of course, is the line is from the line Arthur. From Fortunately, he got it and he, he fell off his chair laughing. So, and I, so I did that. And he said, I hear you tap. And I said, yes. And he said, do some for me. So I did some tap and he said, thank you very much. We'll be in touch. So I went and it was at the, the auditions were at the footbridge and I was out in the foyer talking to, to somebody and Kelly Akers came running out and she said to me, Jack, I think you've got it. I think, and he's going to put in a tap routine for you. And I said, oh, yeah, right. That'll be, that'll be right. It was first day of rehearsals. The wardrobe man comes up to me and says, we've got a couple of pairs of tap shoes for you to try on. And he, I choreographed it, but he put in a tap, tap routine for me and Annie. So, but that was my favourite audition of all time. I mean, how do you, how do you call your, your director a little shit and get away with it? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and having got in, and they think, they think they're seeing you for something else. Oh, yes. Yeah. I can't tell you the relief that was on their faces when I, when I said, no, no, Drake. <laughs> In a few minutes, we're going to have a big press conference here. There's going to be a whole bunch of photographers and reporters. And that sob sister from the Evening Star is coming. Ooh. I don't figure we're going to have any trouble with her. Ooh. She'll swallow hook, line, and sinker because that's what she wants. Her name's Mary Sunshine. When I was a tiny tot of maybe two or three. Tell me about Mary Sunshine. Oh, I was I was in Brisbane um, doing the tour of Fair Lady, and I flew down to do the audition, and I did the worst audition in the world. I mean, that's you know, literally, I I came out of the it was at the at the Opera House. The auditions were in the Drama Theatre. And I came out and Paul met me and um, I said, don't talk, don't, don't talk about it. Don't even mention it. It was the worst audition in the world. What went wrong? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I just felt so awful about it. I just felt I sang badly and I, I, I don't know what I did with the dialogue. And you were just uh, auditioning for the me ensemble? No, I no, you, I was were, auditioning for Mary Sunshine. So did you have to sing in false hero? Yes, right. yes. Was, I, was that a skill you had? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes, it was something that I'd, all, I'd always been able to do. Um, so I, and uh, anyway, I, I did get it. Uh, despite Ross Coleman trying to, he told me this himself, he tried to talk um, uh, Richard, Richard, Richard mm. into not using me because in a chorus line, we didn't get on at all. 
we were not friends at all in a chorus line. So, so he and late, rivalry or, yes, yeah. well, no, no, just just just, a, just personality, personality clash. clash. Yeah. And uh, later we be, we we became really good friends. And he he told me he said I tried to talk Richard out of not using you, and uh, pre and he said nothing nothing professional about it at all. He said it was purely personal. Anyway, so I did get it, and um, I went into rehearsal and. I'll just tell this little story that that we were in rehearsal for we were in rehearsal for a couple of weeks, and I was at lunch with Geraldine and Nancy, and they were saying there's something not right, there's something not working, and I said, well, I'm watching a lot, I'm sitting there watching a lot, and I said, the direction doesn't match the choreography, and the choreography is right. So we got back after lunch, and Geraldine, of course, said, Richard. <laughs> And I thought, well, that's me gone. I've never been in, I've never been employed before by him. I'll never be employed again. That's me out. Anyway, he took it to heart, and they had closed rehearsals from then on. And if you weren't in the scene, you weren't in the room. And he, he, he the show got done brilliantly. And what was to be a five-week run at the Opera House ended up in two and a half years, and a week in in uh, Hong Kong at the Festival of Arts sight unseen what did, tell me about what did you mean by the direction didn't match the choreography it was he because richard was about people standing and talking to each other you know he, he was a play director so it wasn't a musical director. it was he yeah, wasn't he yeah, never directed yeah. a musical and didn't know how to right. and and he didn't know how to move he didn't know how to let people move and um and so the, a number would happen and then everybody would stand still then they'd be talking you know, then there'd be a musical number and then there'd be talking. Yeah. And uh, anyway, he's, and he was going to cut out two numbers because he didn't understand them. But between Nancy and Ross, they choreographed, they did number these numbers and showed him them and said, this is what, you might just have second thoughts and the numbers went back in because, oh, is that what, you see, just didn't understand what they what the, what they were meaning until they were choreographed so uh, but of course it was it was wonderful marvelous wonderful cast oh, it's one of those uh, iconic productions in yes. Australian theater people still have vivid memories and talk about it today. the fir that first performance the audience went crazy for it because at that time none of the commercial managements would touch it because it was too too sexy uh, uh, Williamson's, rah, absolutely not. Nobody would would go for it. They never thought it would make any money. Well, you know. Well, an Australian creative team, and um, they were not required to uh, take on the Broadway franchise or any no, that was totally original. Absolutely, because mm -hmm. I have to say, Ross's Corrie was very sort of Fosse esque. Mm -hmm. It did have that that sort of type, but he, it was brilliant. I mean. He didn't put a foot wrong for anybody. It was, it was witty, it was clever. Revealing Mary Sunshine as a man in the second act required you to be known as, I think, J.D. Webster? J.P. J.P. Webster in the yes. programme so that yes. they didn't give the, uh, That's right. the gig, gig away. Um, was that difficult to maintain that, um, that secrecy as the, the production went on? It was a bit, it was understandable. Mm. Because um, you had to reveal, and I had to have a, a, a drag photo in the in the program, 
you know. And Wayne Harrison, uh, who was working at Sydney Theatre Company, he, he, he was editor and of... And an old JC. And an old JC. He was my understudy in, um, in Gypsy. Oh, it's Tulsa. Yes, he never right. got on. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, he was editor of a gay of the gay newspaper at the time, and he came round to my place. And we had dinner, and we concocted this whole history of J. P. Webster, who had lived in Ashby de la Zouche in England and sang operettas during the war with her mother Zilla, and Zilla was such a wonderful performer that that, that the audience would yell out, "Oh God, Zilla!" You know, <laughs> all this sort of stuff. But we concocted this whole J.P. Webster history. But um, actually, just before we opened, Richard came to me and he said, look, I'm, I'm sorry, I know I haven't directed you, but I like everything you do. And I said, well, you know, a bit little, bit too little too late. I've been thinking I've been, you know, the spare leg of this production, that you've hated everything that I've done. I said, a little bit of encouragement on the way would have gone a long way. But anyway... Um, I just adored it and I played her like a dotty old lady and I've got tiny feet so you know I wasn't sort of clumping around in big shoes and being a dancer I gave everything that sort of delicate um, pose that sort of balletic flow well lovely arms with everything lovely, lovely be beautiful arms and hands <laughs> <laughs> were you able to work with roger and collaborate on the costume what, what you would no wear? he just gave me what he gave me it was divine right. oh you it? felt glamorous. oh right, they were right. gorgeous right, right, right. both i had two gowns and they were bo both gorgeous no problem there but um i did always get um a huge shriek at the revealing, you know, when I when the dress was ripped off and I took off the the hat and the wig and I'm standing there in Y fronts, and uh, I always got a, a big yell. Ross Coleman after opening night when I got a big yell, he said that won't happen every night, you know. And it did. <laughs> and it did. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yes, it was um, just. A, ter a terrific show all round and, and, and beautifully conceived. I mean, uh, set and Brian Thompson's set and costume was, costumes were just gorgeous, mm. you know. How did you like to set up your dressing room space for any show that you were in? Oh, as plainly as I could yeah. possibly. I mean, doing Mary Sunshine was the most elaborate I've ever been because I had all these colours, you know. And eyelashes, and uh, and I had this big sort of um, had it, it was a, a toolbox from Bunnings, yes, and, of makeup. and all the makeup, and there were dozens of pairs of eyelashes, and the, this, that, and, and grease paint for different shades of, of because because we were quite garishly made up in that show. Uh, the makeup was fairly heavy for every for everyone. Um, and so I, I kept experimenting with things and colours and this, that and the other. And my makeup box ended up being a treasure trove. And my, a couple of years after, I, I got a car wash in Sydney. And when I, when I got the car back, the, the toolbox had disappeared. Well, was that one disappointed little Filipino car washer when he opened that up and found it two dozen pairs of eyelashes and eyeshadow for days. 
not, not the toolbox he thought. Uh, not the tools he thought he was getting, no. Um, a, a lot of these shows um, ran for a long time. How do you manage repetition in long runs? Um, very well. Yeah. Because I've always, I've always had that um, thing that every audience is the first. You know, it's the first time they've been. There might be people who've come again, but basically that's the first time. This is the first night for them. And they may have travelled quite a distance. Absolutely. You never, big, never big give, best, give less than your best. I mean, that's cheating. And I've always had a really good respect for my audience. Also, I love what I do. Mm. I love it. Mm. It's not something I play with. You know, it's, it's, I've always taken what I do seriously. Yeah. I've hated a lot of the stuff that I've done, but I've always, I hope, done it to the best that I can. You know, I, because I do, I do, I've always had that respect for the audience. The show must go on. Have you, have you had the been Why? Where... <laughs> <laughs> As Noel Coward wrote, why must, must the show, show go, go on? on. <laughs> have you had moments where, where you haven't felt up to scratch? You've been a bit oh. poorly and you've just got yourself oh, out there. Oh, it. Hot shoe, for Doctor Theatre. Hot Shoe Shuffle. Until we went to London, I never had an understudy. And I went on in every situation. I went on with the flu. I went on, tw I did a matinee in an evening show with a twisted knee, which I got put back in the, ne the next day, but it was twisted out of, out of kilter. I did two shows on that. And um, there was only, uh, I, I, they forced me to have, a, or they forced David to have an understudy in London because he said, oh, he'll never go off. He was supposed to cover me, but he, you know, the, the boys said, don't ever do that. And, um, and, but there was a cover, there was an understudy in London and he had it in his contract that he had to do one performance every two weeks. And David only gave him the matinees, but that gave me a chance to see other shows around town as long as they had a matinee on that day. Um, but, at no other time, but we came back to Sydney uh, on the last leg and we were in Sydney and I got uh, a flu and it kind of caught up with me through the, through the performance. And by the last number, the, th the trio, when I get my name in lights, and I was hanging on to David, I was just leaning on him and I, could, I couldn't stand up and I got into the wings and just sort of collapsed and they took me to the dressing room at 103 temperature they brought a doctor to the to the theater and I had five performances off I just my legs wouldn't work I couldn't do it under any circumstance. I couldn't walk the show so they were the only people when I got back the boys screamed at me that you're not allowed to do it because David had gone on for me and never knew the show and did a different performance every time he went on. And they never knew where they were. <laughs> but no, I, I just soldiered on and kept on going. Say, what's the matter with you boys? You look a little beat back there. Can't keep up the pace, huh? We want a 15-minute intermission bus. We want a 15-minute intermission bus. We want a 15-minute intermission bus. With your permission. Intermission? We want a 15-minute intermission bus. We want a 15-minute
Intermission, you're so confused, you gotta stop, I'm sure. And intermission is the only cure to ease your palpitating tootsies, boys. You'll never get to heaven if you treat me this way. That was a magical show for you. Uh, it ran a long time. That was five weeks at the Hill Centre and possibly two weeks in Melbourne. That's what it was. When it, That's when what it, it was. He called me to... I, we both had the same agent, Bill Shanahan, those days. And um, Bill called me and he said, David wants to talk to you about his new show. And I thought he might have wanted me to do some Corrie for it because his, his shows were always dancing shows. Anyway, Dancing Man, Dancing Man, Dynamite, and all of that. Anyway, um, I got to his studio, and he he said, "No, I want you to be in it." And handed me this foolscap page of synopsis, which bore some resemblance to the show as we know it, but in other ways, it was totally different. I had five characters, and one of them was a black janitor. Um. There were the three, or the three ones that that was the same for that he was the father of the and the premise was the same. They had to do the act to get some, some money, and um, but April, the daughter. Well, the premise was that she couldn't sing or dance, in the end. Well, in this in this version, she was in a wheelchair with one leg. And David had bought. A, set, a whole set of crutches to put tap, taps on the ends of the, and do a tap routine on crutches. Oh, then it was revealed, no, she was only pretending to have one leg. She had two and could sing and dance up a storm, you know. Now, this was to be done in the year of the disabled. Oh, no. Oh, dear. This is a story that I don't think anybody knows. Uh, uh. And the end, at the end of the show... They did the act. The act was done. They went. The last scene was in back in the in the lawyer's office, um, where it was revealed who the father really was, and it'd been all these different people, including a black janitor, all night, and um, and that there was no money, and then a huge safe was to fall out of the flies, squashing Rhonda, squashing the sister. Thank you very much. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the show that I said yes to. <laughs> and he said, what do you think? And I said, oh, throw in a few poofter jokes. You've, you've insulted yep, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we got to rehearsal and it was a totally different story. But we got the script for the first act on the first day of rehearsal and the second act on two weeks later. And we were working it on the hoof but that was extraordinary because David and the boys had been rehearsing for a week before we got before Rhonda and I got there and at the end of the first week he said you want to see what we've been rehearsing and he showed us a couple of numbers and Rhonda and I were just knocked out and the boys were sensational you know and it was just magic and we thought well this is good but we, we opened the show and what, what it was was Castle Hill Council had put up half the money and David had put up the other half. And by the time we got to open the show, the council was having elections and they knew they were going to be replaced. So they pulled out all the cash. They said, you're not getting any more 
don't care if you go to Melbourne. It's just the run here at Castle Hill, end of story. And um, we opened with an invited audience, uh, which went mad for the show, but v bookings were very slight. There weren't very many. That, and that's one reason why Castle Hill pulled out, because there weren't any bookings. On opening night, one critic came. The rest stayed away, because it was a new show. They didn't know what it was. And, um, but everybody went ape for it. It just snowballed, word of mouth really rolled along and by the time you know end of the first week we were capacity we were running to full houses practically not in the hill center that was too big but it was and then all the critics wanted to come and i said make them pay <laughs> <laughs> i said make the bastards pay anyway they gave us good we got crits just sensational crits and um a friend of mine came to see us. he was a bit bit psychic and he came to see the show and he said this show's going to London and I said really he said yeah it's also going to America but not with you and I went to David and I said this friend of mine said it's going to London he said that'd be nice wouldn't it we weren't even going to Melbourne at this stage right. but David roped in uh, Daryl Summers his brother-in-law at the time and together they mounted it in Melbourne and um, as the rest, as we say, is history. history yeah. And six months in London at the Queen's Theatre. What was it like going back to London in a huge hit like that? I'll tell you, it hit me when... I mean, you see, you see that little, little post, those little posters of mine, the little flyers that are on the wall of the, the shows I did in the West End. They're on a wall in my, in my lounge. And um, they were always in, in, in little cases, little glass cases, up the escalators on the walls when you go up the escalators at the tube stations. Yeah. And it hit me when I took my first tube ride and I looked... And there was a, a little flyer for Hot Shoe Shuffle and my name was there. And I thought the number of times I went up and down those tube stations looking at posters for everybody else and suddenly I'm in one of those glass cases, my name is there. And I thought this is unbelievable. I'm, I, I left as a chorus boy and I went back as third on the bill. Tarantara, Tarantara. Tarantara. Oh, what a joy that was. Um, it, it, very spooky the way that happened, actually, um, in that I've always hated GNS. And when um, Pirates came to town back in the, well, it was 80s, wasn't it? 80s something like 85. that? 85. 85. And my partner at the time paul he said we're going to see uh, pirates aren't we and i said oh god i can't stand it and he said but you can't not go you know everybody in it you've got to see your mates work and so he booked the tickets and dragged me along one tuesday evening 
I had the best time. I mean, it was fabulous. Did you know the the Ronstadt and Kevin Klein? I knew they'd done it, and I knew it was a bit of a a bit of a romp. But I didn't, I hadn't taken any notice of it. And uh, John English, you know, the only person. Well, I I didn't. I knew John barely, um, and I knew June quite well. David, of course, um, and some of some of the people in the in the chorus or, or the daughters, Linda Nagel particularly, who I'd known for ages, and um, anyway, and Simon I had actually met when, while we used to see him a lot when he was playing piano before he became famous up in Brisbane at the, one of the hotels when I was rehearsing at the. Um, Queensland Theatre Company, we would go to this particular hotel, Simon would be playing piano, and we'd have after rehearsal drinks there. So that's where I first saw Simon, even before uh, the Mike Walsh shows. Anyway, so we went to see the show on Tuesday. Andrew Green as the conductor, bouncing up and down, and the orchestra jumping up and down. I had a whale of a time, and I saw my friends afterwards. And the first thing that came in, oh, and actually, David's performance worried me because he used this peculiar Scottish accent, which I wondered why, and he bounced all around the stage and acro- you know, did acrobatics and cartwheels and things like that. Oh, why are you doing that? Anyway, I got up the next morning and the first thought that came into my mind was, wouldn't it be funny if David didn't want to do the, show, the rest of the show and they asked me to take over? Because I'd love to do that role. Police sergeant. Police sergeant, thank you very much. How foolish, says I to myself, says I, and uh, thought no more of it. The next day, my agent called me and he said, Jack, Noel Ferrier would like you to have a meeting with Andrew Green. David doesn't want to do the rest of the tour and they're wondering if you'd like to take over the role of sergeant of police. So I saw the show on the Tuesday had that thought on the Wednesday morning, saw Andrew Green and Noel Ferrier on the Friday and had the job. That's spooky. It's spooky, isn't it? And I was due to do uh, takeover in Adelaide. So I was rehearsing on the the last week of Sydney, of the run in Sydney. And um, I had learned the role vocally. I had learned it before I got there. so um, the Monday afternoon, I got there at one o'clock for rehearsal with a lovely man, Craig Schaefer, um, who later directed me, he was a great mate, and, and he was best man to uh, Simon Gallagher at his wedding. Um, and he later directed Simon, Marina and I in uh, uh, Student Prince at the Lyric. Anyway, um, getting back to this, I rock, rocked up for rehearsal and, and sort of half an hour in, Craig said, do you want a break for coffee? And I said, no, just because I like to get on with it, you know, and, and I, I don't like to kind of joke around a lot while I'm learning. Afterwards, I'll have a good laugh, you know, when I know it. Now, keep going. Anyway, we did break for coffee, which lasted about an hour. So I didn't learn all. The sh- oh, and it's only in the second act, you know, it's not a big, not a big part. Mm. And, um, but I'd only learned half of it. And I went back in the next afternoon and he said to me, are you ready to go on? And I said, yeah, sure, come on, let's do it. What? Because his face didn't change. And he said, David's pulled a hamstring and we want you on. 
And I said, well, two things come straight to mind. And I said, one is that I only know half the show. And two, what do I wear? And I said, I'm supposed to be in Melbourne tomorrow getting the uniform fitted um, at where they make the police uniforms. Oh, shit, he said. Yeah, I didn't think of that. So I learned the rest of the show on the Tuesday afternoon. I spent all day in Melbourne, in and out of the tailors, getting the uniform fixed. Thursday, I had a rehearsal, a run-through with the second understudies in street clothes and piano. And not everybody was there. Uh, and um, I went on that night. <laughs> and the costume, the, the uniform arrived halfway through the first act. I put it on not knowing whether it fitted or whether it would tear or anything. I had to use David's helmet, which um, was far too big for me. And I had to go at interval. I went into the dressing rooms of the other principals. Uh, June was ecstatic. Oh, darling, it'll be fabulous. It'll be wonderful. You know, all of that. Typical Bronhill. And I went into Marina's dressing room and I said, oh, well, I'm, I'm on for David tonight. What? She, I don't think they'd been told. And I said, well, I just want to know what you look like in costume so I know who to go to sing to. And I did the same with John Wood as the Major General, you know. And he, he sort of blustered a bit because coming from the opera world, this wasn't done. You didn't throw people on. Anyway, I talked to myself and I thought about all the things I didn't know. I didn't know the orchestrations. I didn't know what it was like under lighting. I didn't know what the, the real set was like. I did all these things I didn't know. And I'm standing at the side of the stage waiting to go on. And I looked along the line. The daughters were all sort of lined up. And I looked along the line of daughters and I saw Linda Nagel. And her face was beaming. It was just beaming at me. And all the nerves just went. They just disappeared. Her face, looking at her face, nerves went. I went on and I did not a mistake. In fact, I was standing in the wings at one point looking very relaxed. And it was a chap who was the understudy who was looking a bit daggers at me because he thought he would take over, you know. And um, he said, you know, you're on in a second and I said I am how am I doing you know <laughs> one of those. and I said no, well, really what and he said well it's easy you just do this this and they run out the back and I said well would you give us a push so he gave me a push and on I went it's I, which I'd, I'd never rehearsed anyway got through it at the end of the show somebody said oh well, you know applause for Jack it's his first night and and I got a lovely round of applause and after and I did the second night and somebody said oh you know it's Jack's second night Chonning just said oh fuck him it feels like he's been doing it for years <laughs> 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 typical John yeah <laughs> that's wonderful and I had the best time and I did I ended up doing um I did the Thursday, Friday, Saturday matinee, and then opened opened in in Melbourne, uh, in in Adelaide. About uh, what a what a gorgeous show and company. I mean, it was just one laugh from beginning to end. That's what but, you want, and and uh, all those skills that uh, you you garnered as a youth with Jean. Um, go on and get it done. Yeah. Do give it a go. Yeah, really. do it. You know, because I think, I think Bill was still, I think it was Bill at the, the time, he said, you don't have to do it, you know. It's just like, let, let me use the understudy, because um, 
I said, well, well, I don't know, Bill, you know. <laughs> so I did, I gave it a go and, and it was okay. It worked. The pull of the footlights. Yes. Now, a, a show that you've revisited three times is Annie. Annie. Yeah. yeah. What, what is it that, that you like about Annie? I just Annie, love though? the character. Yeah. I love the character. Um, of Drake. The of Drake. Mm. I, think he's, I think he's smashing. And he doesn't say very much, but I just like the demeanour of him and, you know, the fact that he is in charge. In fact, when I was doing it in Brisbane and Frank Lloyd was... Uh, was FDR and at one point I said to him Frank I don't know how to play this and he gave it to me he just he said you're in charge take charge so he gave me Drake I'll always be grateful to him uh, we shared a dressing room together and he said I don't know about you but I'm, I'm painting my half menopausal mauve he said <laughs> <laughs> You choreographed that show. Too, I choreographed you? it too, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I mean, I, I don't know what the original was. And, and of course, the original I saw, I remember seeing with Jill playing Miss Hannigan. Um, and I think it was um, um, Hayes Gordon yes, was, was Daddy, Daddy Warbucks. And Kevin Johnson was Rooster. And Nance was. And um, Nance was um, Lily. Lily. And uh, I know they had a travelator for the um, NYC number and everybody just ran around the back and got back on it and they just they just struck a pose and traveled so I had that was num one number I had to completely choreograph but that ended up being restaged and when I did it later the like the second two times they were they were there was no travelator that was that was all restaged but um, I just I just liked it and it's a it's a lovely show it's, it's charming and Particularly, well, Alan Edwards, who was director of Queensland Theatre Company, lovely guy, and he, he was so lovely to work for and with. And I thought the, uh, the first production that I did for Queensland Theatre Company was charming. It really had a lot of charm. And uh, like Alan himself, he was, he was a charming man. And um, so I just adored it when it came up a second time you know years later I said yes let me go for that character I, I want to do that again and of course I had that audition with Martin and he and I got on very well and uh, the what well, I can't remember her name the girl re redoing this she used to call me Mr. Perfect because she said can you do that yes <laughs> <laughs> can you stand over that yes <laughs> So choreography was another string to your bow, which certainly it was, has en enabled that longevity of your career. It was. Um, and as I said, if I'd stayed in the UK, I think that's where I would have been steered. Mm. Um, but over here, I did it out of necessity more, more than anything else, because Australia had some wonderful choreographers. I mean, my, the best one, of course, I think was Ross. Ross was a fabulous choreographer, even though he didn't like me at one point. But, you know, you can't deny the talent. And we did become very good friends later on. Um, but there were other people who were better. I could do a certain style. I couldn't do really modern stuff. I could do it if it was a bit hokey. And... Uh, I did. I had a, a lovely thing um, on television. It was Channel Ten. Uh, it was a, a bicentennial. The the what 
was it we had where all the ships came into the harbour? Our bicentennial. And Channel 10 did a show to celebrate it. And it was on all Australian, Australiana. And David Mitchell got together with Sheldon, uh, Barry, not, yes. Barry Crocker. Barry Crocker Jr. Yes. 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 Uh, Peter Tapano, Donnelly. Yes, the four of them. Who were, were children of yes. showbiz parents. Yes, yeah. that's right. All these generations of... And I choreographed these all, all two Jack O'Hagan's songs. Hmm. I remember it's on YouTube. I know it well. I, I joked, Sheldon sent it to me. And it's, it's charming. It's yeah. lovely. And I watched it and I thought, I'm pretty proud of that. Yeah. Now, and that sort of stuff I could do. But I couldn't have choreographed a, sh- a big show or anything. I think it was Annie, which was a show in which you decided that it's time to retire. It was. It was this this last version in twenty cross to eleven twelve, and look. To be honest, um, I had come out of a show very badly previously, and I'd got, got very badly injured, and it was. I was wondering what what, what would happen to me, and I got a call to come in and do this new version of Annie. This. Um, again with Warlow, but with Nancy Hayes playing um, Miss Hannigan and Chloe Dallimore and, and Todd McKinney. And they were very kind and they said, we'd like to, you to repeat what you did the last time with Martin Charnin and we'd like to, to keep the tap routine in that, that he put in for you. So I did and I, it was while I was doing that and I was really happy doing the show, but I was in Melbourne in this service department and there was a, a building site on either side of me starting at seven o'clock in the morning and it was pouring with rain and I thought you know what I think I might have had enough and then we went to Perth and there was a building site behind us in the service department with the ugly artwork on the wall you know and I thought I really have had enough I don't want to tour anymore I don't want to be sitting in these service departments with ugly pictures on the walls and I you know I, I need to stop now because touring is a necessary part of the of the gig, absolutely it? it's the it's every musical tours and when so, you're young it can be fun you're seeing different parts of the country and making new friends and and god knows how many times I've been around Australia I mean we did a we did a bus and truck version of hot shoe shuffle we literally drove ourselves around the country mm. right around the outside mm. um which was incredibly fabulous to cross the Nullarbor was wonderful but I thought what what have I got left to do you know uh, what's what have I left undone nothing really you know I'd done all sorts of different kinds of dance I'd played all these various parts I'd been in comedy plays um, you know I'd done a serious I'd done a serious role in Arturo Ui um, with John Bell and played old Dogsborough, playing 80 years old. But So I'd done all of that and I thought, Christ, I, I thought I would have a 20-year career. I thought I would be a dancer, end of story. Then I would either teach or choreograph or something. And Betty Pounder came into my life and extended this career in a way that I never even, in my wildest dreams, would not have dreamt about you know and um, everything I thought was unexpected then came this then came that 
it wasn't as if something led into anything. It just kind of happened, you know, and the different roles and the different characters, which I adored playing. Uh, characters, you know, the Sergeant of Police, Mary Sunshine, all these wonderful odd things that I was given to do. And I thought, okay, I can stop now. So I did. Jack and Webster, thank you so much. Oh, okay. For um, for your story. I've, I've had a ball these last oh, couple of hours. Oh, I, I knew from the start that this would probably be a two episode conversation, <laughs> which it has, has certainly grown into. But to, oh. hear, to hear the arc of your career really mirrors the development of musical theatre in this country. Yes. Um, and so uh, myself and, and the listeners are, are very privileged to hear your story and um, have an insight into... Well, I feel very work. privileged. I really do feel very privileged to have had the career that I have had when I'm, all I really wanted to be was a dancer. And I loved it. I've always loved it. And as I think Cheetah Rivera said, dancers are always dancers, you know. Uh, but um, it's just been extraordinary and I've loved every minute of it. And I, and I really want to thank all those people who have helped me along the way, and there have been a lot, who have been very influential and very remarkable and have been very generous and kind. They're too numerous to mention, but so many people I have so loved working with and for, and, um, and they deserve a huge thanks because no one does anything alone. As Sondheim says, no one is alone. But it's true, you don't do it alone. And uh, there's so many things I haven't mentioned with, yes, look, within there, but we could go we, on for six weeks. There could be another weeks. episode, yes. Yeah, well, let's not. Let, <laughs> as Sheldon always says, let's not and say we did. <laughs> Such an informative and passionate insight into a marvellous career. So many stories, so much knowledge and such joyous celebration. Thank you, Jack Webster, for being our guest on the Stages podcast over two enthralling episodes. And thank you also for all that you have given audiences and your colleagues during your time on stage and behind the scenes. Thanks for joining us, everyone, in this episode. You can check out all of the episodes featured in the podcast thus far by checking out the website www.stagespodcast.com.au You've been listening to The Stages Podcast. I'm Peter Ayers. Keep well, keep warm, stay safe, and I'll catch you next time on Stages. Stages.